introduce myself. I'm Jeff Bennett. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And to our Harbor Online community, welcome this morning. Uh, so glad that you're a part of our church service today. Uh, I was with someone a couple weeks ago, and they told me a story of they had gone to with a friend to volunteer at their Christmas Eve service uh, to help with the parking lot. I guess there was a lot of people coming, and they needed to organize the parking lot. And this person told me that they were surprised at how often they got yelled at in the parking lot at Christmas Eve. In fact, they told me that at times there was some language used that wasn't appropriate for Christmas Eve or really for any other time in the parking lot of this church. I don't know which church it was. Don't worry, I'm not going to say it. It wasn't us. And as I heard that story, here's what I'm sort of reflecting on as you hear that story. Would, would that church, would you be more attracted or less attracted to that church? You know, and, and then if you were someone who was seeking Jesus at Christmas, would you be more or less attracted to Jesus? And, and I think the reality is, is that when we see or hear those kinds of stories, it, it sort of, it, it's a mark against uh, certainly the church and sometimes a mark against Jesus, or we're just not as inclined to move in that direction. And as I heard that story, it sort of surprised me or, you know, caught me off guard a little bit because it's not usually the story that I hear. Usually the story I hear around Harbor is exactly the opposite. I hear that people are looking in and they sense uh, some sense of community or some sense of love amongst others or that there's life or that there's joy. And quite often I hear from people that that is attractive to them, that, that they looked in and they saw that there was this love or community there was a joy amongst people or in their hearts, and it made them both move towards the church and also to Jesus Christ. I hear that story often. And as I hear that story, it often, it, it, it reflects on my own spiritual journey. I remember a time when I was in, in high school, and I grew up in the church, and I remember moments where I would be in a circle maybe with people, you know, of different generations and they'd be praying or I'd be listening to someone talk or listening to someone worship and I saw their great love for Christ. And I could look in and I could see just they had a life in their, their soul and they had this deep joy in their heart. And I remember looking in and many times I could, I could in my mind, I would think they have something that I do not have. And, and I couldn't figure it out, but I just knew that they had something that I did not have. They had a depth that I did not know of. And in some ways, I could always sort of say it this way. They are seeing something in this church and in Jesus that I am not seeing. And it made me curious. And I remember at times driving home in my car at night thinking, what are they seeing that I am not seeing? Because I knew they had this joy in their life that was so attractive and so compelling. And so when you meet someone that has a lot of joy in their life, or you meet someone that has a lot of love or just a lot of life in their soul, there's different ways you can respond to that. And sometimes you meet someone who's just got this great character quality, and then sometimes we sit back, and here would be the first approach. We would say, oh, I need to be more joyful like them. I'm going to be more joyful like them. That's good. I should be that way too. And so you get up in the morning and you set a goal. I'm going to be really joyful today. Whatever comes, I'm just going to be super joyful. It's like a job. It's like a task. You put it in your mind. I'm going to do it. And then you get to about lunch and you think, oh, I forgot all about that goal. 
You know, or something happens and then you realize you're not very joyful and then you're like, ah, the goal is ruined. So at lunchtime, you're like, I'm just gonna try really hard for the rest of the day to be super joyful. And here's what we know if you've ever tried that. And I think at all the times we have, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You can't just work yourself up to be joyful. In fact, the people that you would look in on who have great joy, they're probably the people that are working the least hardest at having the joy. It's just natural. It's just flowing out of them. And so if we want to have joy, the question becomes, what is the source of that joy? Joy is not the goal. Joy is more the byproduct of that. And what actually have people found or people seeing that creates joy in them that no matter the circumstance, they don't have to remember to be joyful. They just are joyful. And so this morning, this is indeed the Christmas story. This is indeed what we talk about here at Christmas, that the characters that we're going to look at today, the two people in the story, they see something that creates great joy in them. And we can hope this morning that God would give us eyes to see what they saw, that we could see the joy that they found in the first Christmas. These are two very unique people we're going to look at today, uh, both women and both pregnant, and both by human standards, they should never have been pregnant. You, we've already introduced these characters in the past couple of weeks. One is Elizabeth. She's married. Uh, she is probably in her 70s or maybe in her 80s when she becomes pregnant. She'd been barren her entire life, never able to have children, well long past childbearing uh, capability age, but then as a miracle of God, she gets pregnant. The second woman is almost the exact opposite. It's Mary. She's unmarried. She's a virgin. She's 13, maybe at the oldest, 15 years old, and she's pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of God has created life in her womb. And so it's these two women that we come to look at this morning, and they both have great joy. And you might say, well, they have joy because they're pregnant. And yes, that's probably part of it, and pregnancy often brings joy, but it's much deeper. It's much deeper than that. Both of these women are pregnant, or are pregnant, but also have joy because of the very unique men that they are pregnant with. Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Jesus would call him the greatest prophet who would ever live up until that point. And Mary herself, she is pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And it's these two women who first really see the significance uh, of all that these two men entail. And we see in them this deep joy, the source of their joy. And so I hope this morning as we would look into this story, we'll see these women. They are wonderful role models for us. So here's our journey today. Two women, two people, and, the, and what they find or how they find joy. And then two truths, two truths that lead us to joy. So two people that find joy and two truths that lead us to joy. It's Luke chapter 1. I hope you have your Bibles with you. You can turn those on, open those up. It's Luke 1. We're going to start in verse 39 and just work our way through as we learn about these two women, Mary and Elizabeth. 
Let me just set the stage for the verses we're going to read. If you remember last week, the angel Gabriel has showed up, said to Mary, you're going to become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're Mary, here's, here's sort of the context of history you're in. If you're looking in your Bible, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi. Then we get to the New Testament. We get Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four biographies of Jesus. In between that time, there's 300 years of silence. There, there has been no prophetic word from God. There has been no miracles. There, there, God has been silent to a degree for 300 years. And now... An angel, Gabriel, shows up and says to Mary, you're going to be pregnant by the the Spirit with the Son of God. And to Mary's credit, she believes that. She has faith in that. It's really beyond comprehension what she has heard, but she takes it and she believes it. And there is a measure of strength to to her faith, But, but she needs more strength. Again, who is she going to tell this to? Who is actually going to believe this story? How might she confirm her faith? How might she strengthen her faith? Well, the angel had told her that uh, her relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, was also pregnant. That there had been a second pregnancy miracle, that it was Elizabeth. And so, what would you do if you're Mary? Well, you're going to go and find Elizabeth because she can support you. She can be personal confirmation of all that is happening, a second conception miracle. No one else might believe Mary's story. You know, it sounds almost unbelievable. But yet, Elizabeth would believe it because she was pregnant as well. And so Mary goes on a three, four-day journey to Elizabeth's house, and that's where we pick up the story. Mary is going to strengthen her faith, and she goes there to see Elizabeth. So read, uh, just follow along as I read the next six verses here. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. So Mary goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth is there resting quietly. She's 70, 80 years old, six months pregnant. She's waiting there. But then as Mary enters the door, what Luke records for us is the Holy Spirit now is revealing truth to Elizabeth. And you might think what Elizabeth would want to talk about would be her own pregnancy and how incredible that was. But what Elizabeth does is praises God for what he is doing in Mary's life. Look at what she says. Blessed are you among women. Mary, you are the most blessed woman in the world. There's no jealousy in her heart. And just look at the next line, the great humility. But why am I so favored? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. 
She honors Mary as the mother of her Lord. Elizabeth right here is identifying Mary as Mary's child, Jesus, as both Lord and God. And what I appreciate about Elizabeth is she's really the first person in the Gospel of Luke here to confess her faith in Jesus as God and as Lord. And then you see John the Baptist. He's there too. He's in the womb. And he is leaping for joy. And remember, John the Baptist's role was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And this is his first ministry assignment. He's using this, uh, he's using the womb as a ministry center. It's almost a little sermon here. He's leaping for joy, saying, there's Jesus, and I'm preparing people for the coming of Christ. And so simply put, as you look in here at both Elizabeth and at John the Baptist, what is causing their joy? What is causing the joy? What is the source of their joy? It's simply this. They recognize who Jesus is. The joy of Elizabeth and the joy of John the Baptist is in the coming and the person of Jesus Christ. That's what is bringing them great joy. And how did they come to discover that? They came to discover it by the inward witness of the Spirit. The Spirit of God whispered to Elizabeth and said, this, this baby that Mary is carrying is both God and Savior. He will save us from our sin. And I appreciate Elizabeth's response. She's just, this is my Lord, my King. She is a model for all of us. And as you look in on Elizabeth and see her believe in Jesus and make this testimony, think of how little information she has. She's got very little, just the inward witness of the Spirit and her own pregnancy. And then just for a moment, think how much more information we have. We have the whole Gospels. We have the whole life of Jesus, all of his miracles, the crucifixion, and ultimately the resurrection that helps us put our faith in who Jesus is. And then I love the last line. I don't think Mary says it sarcastically. But uh, it, you, you could, wives, you could read in a little bit of sarcasm there. But look down to verse 40, 40 what is it, 49. Here's what she says. Blessed is, he, is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary, you're blessed because you believed. If you wanted to be sarcastic, you could be not like my husband over here who did not believe, who's there quiet, unable to hear, unable to speak because he did not believe. But Mary Blessed are you who believed when the angel spoke to you. So that's Elizabeth. What's her source of joy? Her source of joy is just simply in recognizing who Jesus is. And then we move from there to see Mary. And let me just read what happens next. And Russ has already read a portion of it. Just the words, the song that Mary writes next in this moment or over the time there. Luke probably went and visited Mary and recorded these words from her. But let me just read, and just as I read it, just appreciate the depth of what Mary is writing. And Mary said this, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home. Isn't that good? Like that, that, this psalm, this song, this poem she writes is outstanding. You read through there, there is such depth to it. It's heartfelt, it's personal, it's theologically deep. In fact, some skeptics of the Bible look in and they feel like it's too good for a 13-year-old girl to have written. But let me tell you, how was Mary able to write something so well? And as you see her, you just see the quality and the depth of her faith. How was she able to write this? Here's why. She knew Scripture really well. Again, you read this psalm, it reads like a psalm of David. She would have been versed in those psalms. She would have sung them at home and heard them in the synagogue, and now comes her opportunity to write a poem, to write a worship, some worship to God as her heart is filled with joy, and she writes these wonderful words. It's a wonderful reminder and challenge to all of us. Mary, 13 years old in the first century, knows her Bible well and writes a wonderful song, and it's a reminder for us of the importance of studying and knowing the Word of God. Mary, again, here, in so many ways, is a model believer for us. She's heard the good news from Gabriel. She's believed and put her faith in what he has said, and she has now surrendered her life to following that course, and now she's living that out with worship, with joy in her heart. But even as you think about Mary, let me just make a little, say something else about Mary that, that, that we learn from this text or what we do not see here. Nowhere in what we're reading or nowhere in the Bible does Mary ever hear our prayers. She doesn't answer prayers. She doesn't mediate our prayers. Nowhere here is she being worshipped and nowhere is she playing a role in our salvation. At one point in history, when things were bad, some people thought, well, Jesus is judging, and so Mary will be saving us. But that is nowhere represented here. In fact, any of those ideas are a complete misrepresentation of what we are actually reading here in the Christmas story. Mary is not being worshipped. She is the worshiper. Mary is not the mediator of our prayers. She is the one who is praying and this, this really matters. Because when we think we have to go through someone else to get to God, we don't really fully understand all that Jesus has done for us. That he is the one mediator between God and man. That we don't need anyone else. That what Christ has done is all that we need. So, two women, both who are filled with joy. Both who hear and understand who Jesus is. And now... Let me just look at the two truths that bring them joy. What is it in Mary's heart that she writes that brings her great joy? And we could spend a whole lot of time looking at all the psalm that Mary writes, but I just want to pull out two quick things. Look down to the line where it says, He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I like how Mary says that. She knows her position before God. 
She knows who she is. Now, certainly some of this is her low social position. She's a woman. She's poor. But it's more than that. It's her heart condition before God. Look down a little bit further. It says, his mercy extends to those who fear him. And then even further down in 54, she talks again about his mercy. What Mary knows about God is that he is loyal and gracious and faithful and loving and that she doesn't deserve that. She's minding, she's, she's uh, telling us her, her low position here in some ways. She would say this, God has blessed me, but I am undeserving. I am receiving the undeserved favor of a merciful God. And as you read these words, you just sense Mary's heart. There's nothing in her that's trying to elevate herself. She's just humbly coming before God, realizing she's undeserving and realizing that God is favoring and blessing her. So here's the first truth that we might learn from Mary about really what is the source of joy. And I think you'll see it on the side screens. It's simply this, that God lifts the humble. God lifts the humble. That's what Mary is praising him for. When we recognize our spiritual poverty, when we recognize our desperate need of God's help, when we recognize the depth of our sin, our own unworthiness, when we're just willing to admit those things and humble ourselves before God, it's in those moments that he can move towards us. It's in those moments where we are opened up to him. And so this Christmas, if you would like to experience more joy, if you would like to have an influx of joy in your life, what is something that you can do? It's simply this, humble yourself before God. We all at times and in different ways, in different situations, find ourselves in some sort of lowly state, some sort of state we, we don't like potentially. And we can complain or we could say we deserve better or don't like our misfortune. We could even be angry. But yet what Mary calls us to do and what she is doing here and what we see in her is she is humbling herself to the plan of God. She's humbling herself to God's providence, to his sovereign plan in her life. And as she does that, that creates the space for God to move into her life. What Mary is marking here is the blessed life, the joyful life, is a life that knows God, that is in right relationship with him, where we are connected to him and obeying him and thus are content. What Mary is marking for us is that when we are internally, internally right with God, that is where we find blessedness and joy and happiness. So the first step or the first truth that Mary reminds us of that leads us to joy is just simply that God lifts or God exalts the humble. But there's a second truth. Let me just point it out. It's in verse 52. You'll see it there. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones. You know, Mary's sort of marking all the rulers of the world who seem so powerful, can seem as those who would be against God. What Mary's saying is one day God is going to bring down all of those rulers Everything is going to be set right. 
He's going to scatter those who are proud. And then in verse 53, he's going to send the rich away empty. What, does, what do we mean by the rich there? It means those who are focused on themselves and their own resources and saying, God, I don't need you. My hope is found. My joy is found in wealth and in other things. What Mary is marking here is sort of the conventional ways that we think we find greatness and significance in money and wealth and power and control. And what Mary is saying is one day God is going to turn all those things upside down. It's all going to be a great reversal. And so here's the second truth that leads to joy. It's just the opposite of the first. It's this, God humbles the proud. God humbles the proud. And there should be a level of encouragement here for us as we look around the world today and see maybe powerful rulers or countries or people who think they have no need for God. Here's the good news. One day, God is going to humble all the proud. All the kingdoms of this world are temporary and transitory, and one day Jesus will reign over all. There's great encouragement here. And Mary looks in and she sees that. We could learn something from Mary here. You know, she looks around the state of her world. She's facing a Roman occupation. She's facing not a great political situation, but, but she's saying, God, I just have this sense that I know that one day you will humble all the proud, and I can rest in that, I can rejoice in that, and I can find joy in that. And so even as you may look around our world today, and you need a little more joy as you look around, find joy where Mary found joy, and that one day God will indeed humble all the proud and set all things right. But there's another part of this that also I think is a challenge to us. And when God says that he humbles the proud, what he's also marking here is that he only satisfies people who are hungry for him. The proud who think that they can find pleasures in life or find other things or find a joy in life apart from God, who would say, I have no need for God. He has nothing. God has nothing for those. Those who are proud and say, I want to stay in control of my own life and do things my way, who are too proud to admit that they need God, what Mary reminds us of is that they end up empty and lost. And so there's a challenge here that God does humble the proud. So those are the two truths. The two truths that Mary teaches us that lead to great joy. God lifts the humble, but yet he humbles the proud. And so just as we process those through, let me ask this question. Where might you need to humble yourself today? Where might you need to admit your utter desperation for God, your spiritual poverty, the depth of your sin, where might you need to turn to him? For some of you, maybe you've never once yet turned to Jesus. And for the first time, you need to come and put your faith and trust in Jesus that he would forgive your sin, give you new life, secure your eternity with him. Maybe you need to come like Mary and Elizabeth and just believe in Jesus. Wouldn't this morning you come and do that? Humble yourself. Come and receive the grace and the mercy that Jesus wants to offer. And then 
For others of us, where, what circumstances are you in where you just may need to humble yourself, where you just need to say, God, I accept the plan that you have for me. I accept the sovereign plan that you have in my life. And God, I just humble myself before you. I surrender to you, God. Whatever you might have for me, God, I just relinquish to you. And in those moments, you would find God to be faithful, to move in, to lift, and to speak to your heart. And then lastly, let me ask the question the other way. Where might you be proud, living independently of God? Saying, God, I don't need you. I want to control my own life, do things my own way. I'm finding satisfaction apart from you. Where might you be proud? And may, may this morning, may Christ convict you to turn away from those things, turn from that sin, and to turn back from him as Christ and as God and as Savior. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we thank you for the example of these two wonderful women. God, really the first two Christians that Luke tells us of, the first two that hear your good news and just simply believe and trust in you. God, we thank you for the humility that they teach us and that they show us. And God, we thank you, Lord, how out of that, Lord, you have exalted them as role models for us. And so, God, may we learn from them, Lord. God, may you save us from our pride, from our desire to control, from our desire to seek fulfillment in other things apart from you. And God, may you humble each of us in our own way. God, may you show us our desperate need for you that we would live totally reliant on you. And so, God, we just surrender again our hearts and our lives to you even now. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. Uh, we have good news to share, and so as we are dismissed today, let me just end with the four words that remind us that we have good news and that we gather to go. Harbor, we are sent.